Hello, hello, hello. Welcome yet to another episode of the Believing Theologist Podcast. My name is, I'm your host, Matthew Smith. I'm here to proclaim sound doctrine and the gospel of Jesus Christ in Lansing, mid-Michigan, all the way up to the furthest reaches of the UP. Hey, I finally got my tagline right. I wrote that thing a long time ago, but I can't figure it out for some reason. Help me. Pray for me. So, welcome back. Welcome back. I know it's been a minute. No, I've kind of been picking on... <laughs> A few other things lately, but hopefully, um, no, we have a good time today, and um, we <laughs> kind of get what's going on here. So there's a lot going on, a lot of stuff. Uh, this is something I've had in the hopper for a while, so I want to go over this first because you know that's just the, w- the way it is. No, so you want to work on s- you work on something. Earlier and earlier, and you put it off, put it off, put it off. Well, I'm not going to put off anymore, so here I am. <laughs> now, I recently did a few episodes uh, regarding Riverview Church and nonsense going on over there. Um, if you want to go back, check those out, please do, uh, over out on Spotify, YouTube, etc., or on Anchor FM. Um, I haven't heard much feedback from that, so if you want to give me some feedback, say, hey, Dude, that was great. Or, dude, that sucked. Let me know. And if you want to, and uh, before I continue, if you want to give uh, some money and throw some money in the hat because you like what you hear and or see, or you just want me to shut up so you can pay me money to get me to stop, please don't do that. That was sarcasm, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, go ahead and check. Go ahead and go over to Patreon. Look up Believing Theologist over on Patreon. Throw a few dollars in the hat. Now, before I begin. There's one thing of utmost importance, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But first, that is good news, but first we've got to start with the bad news. bad news is this. Oh, we are all born sinners. In rebellion and vi- rebellion to God, and, and we violate his law regular, regularly. And Scripture tells us that if we break one of these commandments, we're b- guilty of breaking them all. So that being said, because of this, we deserve punishment. We deserve chastisement. We deserve the wrath of God. But there's good news. Because of God's love and God's grace, He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to, excuse me, to die for sinners. Because you see, we cannot earn our earn righteousness and favor before God on our own accord. We need someone else to do it for us. Why? Because our our nature is that of sin. So Christ, Jesus, he was sent, he lived a perfect life, born of a virgin lived the perfect life, earned right, fulfilled all of the law. That is the law, law of God. Earned righteousness on our behalf, on the sinner's behalf. He died. He was crucified. Put to death, offering himself as a willing sacrifice on behalf of God's people. And that and then he rose again the third day, three days later, defeating sin, Satan, and death, that all that believe in him would have eternal life. 
This is the gospel. Because in this, not th- that is true, and in this also, in this when, when one believes in this, it is God changing your heart, taking out your heart of stone, giving you a heart of flesh. So that you would choose him. So that you would worship him. So that he would save you. Because without Christ, we remain in bondage to our sin, in bondage to our temptations. But in Christ, that is not so. He who sets, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, if you believe that, repent of your sins. Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust and trust and faith in Jesus alone. Now, I wish I would have uh, went in more depth with that. No, at my at my uh, grandmother's funeral a few weeks ago, but I didn't. I did more surface level. So, just like my prayers with my with that with those that heard then, is my prayer with you, is that this would sink in, that God would soften your heart, and you repent and put your faith in Him. Do you have any questions about this? Uh, feel free, give me a call. Oh, no, no, don't, no, don't call me. If you have my phone number, I'm sure you'll probably call me anyway, but um, send me a message over and leave a comment here on a YouTube video, or you can send me a DM on Twitter, Twitter at Believing Theolo, that is, Believing Theolo on Twitter. You can shoot me a message on Gab. I don't check that all that often, or even uh, direct message me via Facebook at Believing Theologist. I'd love to talk with you. All right, continuing on. There's a lot to get to on uh, today's topic. Because um, it's almost a case of mistaken, uh, mistaking what, what it means, what God's love means, and how people and how different people in churches will use that. Now, the issue is, is that what happens, they say God is this thing. But when we look at scriptures, it's actually this other thing over here. I got to do this thing. I can't. I'm making hand motions. You can't see it. Uh, if you're on audio, you don't care. Like, whatever. Just keep going, dude. Anyway, but people take things like God's love and grace and pervert it for their own, for either for their own end unknowingly or for their own nefarious ends. Most of, a lot of times, I think it's just because they don't realize what they're doing and they just need a simple correction according to the scriptures. But I believe something else happens. Some will take things of God's, his law, his grace, and twist it and make it into something it is not. Case in point, I was out uh, a while ago now, out driving the Uber, as one does. Driving the Uber, as one does, and... No, I, I, I've picked up all sorts of folks along the way. Some odd, some not so odd, some cool, some not so cool, some cranky, some not so cranky, but my goal is to get, make sure they get a, get a ride, get to where they're going. And it, it's fun. It, it, it can be fun, a little extra wear in the vehicle, but it's a good time. And I would hope all the custom folks I drove around, it was a good time for them as well. And if I've ever given you a ride, I'm off the road for a while because I need to uh, make some money, 
get some extra money for repairs for my vehicle. Aside from that, if you don't want to see me again, that's okay too. I'll still give you a ride if you call. Via the Uber app, that is. Anyway, I was out in East Lansing. I just got done with a customer, dropped him off, and I was heading toward back toward MSU, back toward MSU campus. And I came across a church sign off of Abbott Road. And the church sign said this, God loves everyone, no exceptions, with a big exclamation mark. And I thought, huh, I wonder what they mean by that. It's not surprising that this, that was on, that this, (laughs) it didn't surprise me that it was on this particular church's road sign. It's a very popular idea in modern evangelicalism, God's unconditional love. But what does this statement even mean? Is it possible that such a statement being presented as as an evangelistic tool or an excuse to deny God's law? Because many times that happens. These questions can be pon- must be pondered as the aforementioned statement is considered. Now, by looking more closely at this, God loves everyone, no exceptions, this brings more concern than comfort according to a biblical worldview. On the surface, it appears that God does love everyone the same in the same way. On the surface. But as we look at the scripture, we see a different view. To say that God's love is egalitarian is to misunderstand God and his word. Now, why do I say that egalitarian? That means everything the same without exception. Okay? Because pe- also the root of this, a lot of people take God's, God's love or get being saved or what have you is part of what I do. My confession saves me. No, it doesn't. God is the one that saves you. Okay? We are re- God requires us to make confession. But he's the one he's the one that does the saving. I don't partner with God so to speak. God's the one that say has saved me because there's nothing in me that I could nothing in me I could have done to earn his salvation, to earn his grace. Okay? That's kind of where I'm getting at here. To say, to say that God's love is egalitarian is that God's love applies the exact same all the way across the board. Okay? But there's another assumption here. An assumption that man is basically good. This is false, again, according to the Scriptures. I, I described it earlier as we started. Because we are born in sin. We are born sinful creatures. Uh, Romans chapter 5. Sin, death came in the world through one man's sin and death to all men because all men sinned. Because of the sin of Adam, mankind was plunged plunged into sin and death. And it's through Christ, the second Adam, that 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 curse is undone. And in Christ alone. And it's by God's choice, God's election, that anybody that we that anyone would be saved. But he still commands you, repent and believe. Because you see, I don't get to cho- pick and choose who gets saved or doesn't. That's not my job. My job is to proclaim the gospel. 
to everybody, regardless, because God, God doesn't fill folks in on who's going to get saved and who isn't. Okay? Now, so in this way, God's love is not egalitarian. Or even when we look at the scriptures, Romans 9, verse 18, so then he has mercy on us whom he desires. He has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens who he, whom he desires. God reserves his mercy for those that he chooses for his glory for his glory alone, not based on the creature that is human. Similarly, he hardens whom he desires for his glory alone. Now, this is one thing a lot of people don't want to accept. They like the idea that God will have mercy, but they don't like the other one. Because people will say, God is love. Yeah, that's what the scripture teaches. God is love. He is also just. He's also wrathful. He's also joyful. And so on. And all these attributes of God, both communicable and incommunicable, make a, are, are not all part of God, but he's all these things at once. No, he hardens whom he desires for his glory alone, his purposes. Now, a uh, prime example of this is going back in Genesis, looking at the story of Joseph, Joseph and Pharaoh. Or no, not Joseph, Moses and Pharaoh. Excuse me, Joseph was before that. Moses and Pharaoh. The Lord told Moses that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Why? Why would God do something like that? Doesn't he want all men to be saved? Well, God was making a point. One, he's just because he is God. He can do this. He's he's thrice holy. God has his prerogative. I don't. You don't, but God does. Now, because in part, this is going to be judgment on the land of Egypt in this case, in the case of Moses and and Israel. And also to show to the people of Israel that the Lord does indeed save, but he is also to be feared. For his purposes alone. No and the thing lot no, and uh, and we also must remember though that God will hold you responsible for your sin. He holds me responsible for mine. And these things are not in contradiction, but compatible. And this is all part of how God interacts with his creation. Now, I'm not going to unpack that any further because, uh, we'll, let's see. Do, 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 do. Let's see, what time is it? Yeah, we'll be here too long. So I want to get on to what I, was, what I wanted to address. So anyway, back to this church sign. I sought to f- figure out what could cause this church to post such a statement. I mean, I didn't get it. I really didn't, because um, it's quite uh, how do you say frustrating. Try to understand exactly what they're getting at, because there's a lot of things that you'd want that one doesn't. There's too many unanswered questions. I'll put it that way. Way too many unanswered questions. 
you know, so I, I, I figured out, now given the wording of the statement, at first I thought it goes beyond, this goes beyond the typical Billy Graham, e, e, Billy Graham revival message. God loves you, repent. It made little sense that this would be a deep theological statement in light of where the church is located. Now, don't misunderstand me. It is a theological statement. God loves everyone, no exceptions. It's just not the kind, just not the kind of regular apologetics dealings. And at this point, it's important to determine the presuppositions behind the phrase. What is it meant by the word love in this context? I have a few ideas, but I want this church to speak for itself first. Now, the church in question is All Saints Episcopal Church. It's on Abbott Road in East Lansing. And no, I'm not trying to dox it. If you want to go cause trouble, knock it off. If you want to go ask questions, that's okay. But don't cause them issues that are unfound, that are un- that are not needed. Anyway, on their opening, on their webpage, on their opening, All Saints welcomes all, young or old, or straight or black, or white or whatever you are, where or wherever you are on your spiritual journey. You are welcome at God's table. That's interesting. And then if you continue on, looking, poking around their website, you have an Episcopal Church. Episcopal Church typically uh, centers their worship service around the Eucharist, that is communion. All baptized, Christ, quote, all baptized Christians, no matter age or denomination, are welcome to receive communion. Episcopalians invite all baptized people to receive, not because we take the Eucharist lightly, but because we take our baptism seriously. Now, on a surface level, I would somewhat agree with that, but they're almost going towards baptismal regeneration, which I would not advocate. But at the same time, though, if if you already are in Christ and you're having issues, Trying to understand. Now, in part of your... Now, remember one, you do have assurance in Christ that that he had... That's happy. And one one way to do this, one way to keep in mind this is remember your baptism. Okay? Not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. Because you were washed Made clean. That's what baptism represents. It also represents a covenant sign. But remember your baptism. That's one way one way to look back and see that. Now, again, if your lifestyle <laughs> if the things you do, if you're in consistent, unrepentant sin or r- repeating sin, or just living like a crazy person, I use that term. I use that term loosely, or just living, not going to church, or whatever. You're bad. No, I would curiously search your heart, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. To quote John, uh, I think it's Second John. Okay. So that being said. Continuing on, they take baptism seriously. Well, as we all should. Now, I find them interesting, but the statements are both interesting 
and concerning. While, like I said, I agree with Episcopalians who confess Christ and are baptized, the covenant sign, should be allowed to participate in the Lord's table. There is a distinction they make that I cannot endorse, specifically in the midst of natural biological realities. Okay? Remember that first thing I read? All saints, welcome all. Young, old, gay, or straight, black or white, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome at God's table. Specifically, amidst our natural biological realities, the word gay is listed. I don't want to go on a long rant on this particular topic, but I want to point out what the Scripture teaches. So, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 7 through 11. So, i got to push my button here. Hey, look at that. Hey, that I'm right where I need to be. 1 Corinthians 6, 7 through 11. Actually, then there's already a failure for you that it, you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither do the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or effeminate, or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Now, this is in the context of taking other believers to a secular court to settle disputes. Paul is making the point that this is not right and makes a spectacle of the church and those who file such lawsuits. Okay? Now, I will say this, sometimes in our modern culture, at least here in America, certain things have to be handled through the courts. This is the way our law system is set up. However, if you're in a disagreement with someone with someone in your church and a lawsuit is required, you think lawsuit is required, take it before the church first. Try it there. When I say try, as in like trial. Do it there so that everything can be laid before the, the congregation and and you and the, your, oppo your uh, supposed opponent would be above board that it would be taken care of without having to go to court. Okay? Because Paul, now continuing on, in verse 9, Paul asks this question, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is a presumptuous question, as if to say to the Corinthians, this is elementary stuff, you guys. You should know this already. Paul continues and exhorts the Corinthians not to be deceived, for neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor vilers. Vilers or revilers, excuse me, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This list describes those that are not in Christ and persist in unrepentant sin. Effeminate and homosexual are on this list. And this is a descriptor for those that are in persistent and unrepentant sin, either in practice, deed, or in attitude and thought. Remember, the Scripture says that the heart is more deceitful than anyone else and is desperately sick. Who can know it? Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17.9 Sin begins in one's heart, not outside. 
begins inside. Now, this is important. This is uh, part of what's called the doctrine of total depravity. No, because in our, in our modern era, now people want to fix the outside. So if I fix the outside there, I fix the outside there, I fix the outside over there, that means the inside will be better. Well, that's nice, but I can fix all these outside points. doesn't mean my face is going to be any, any more special if I don't wash it. I can have all the fancy lights and stuff, have all the perfect lighting, maybe a touch of makeup, no, make my eyes pop or something. But unless I fix this directly, nothing, whatever's on the outside won't, won't matter. Because whatever's on the outside will just amplify the imperfections. And you're probably looking at like, yeah, I can count your nose hairs from here, dude. It's mustache, don't worry. Sin starts there. And I hit my microphone. <laughs> Sin starts in the heart, not outside. This is important. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Spirit of our God, excuse me. Talking to the Corinthians, he reminds them of their salvation in Christ. He reminds them of the price Christ has paid for them. And in light of that, God has expectations of them not us, not to indulge in the works of the flesh. Oh, and us, excuse me. <laughs> Can't read my own notes, so I'm going to start over. And in light of that, God has expectations for them and us not to indulge in the works of the flesh. Now, back to effeminate and homosexual. These words used in this context refer to those that exchange natural roles and relations of men and women, marriage and sexual union for unnatural roles. Men with men, women with women, um, etc. Now you see example uh, example of this in Romans chapter one. Included in these categories would be transgenderism and so on. But as we already discussed, Paul exhorts the Corinthians that they were these things. When we are brought into the family of God, we are no longer to identify with our sin, but with the blood of Christ. That is, in part, the reason for the Eucharist to remind us of that. Because when Christ gave the command, do this in remembrance of often in remembrance of me. Now, real quick, before I continue, if you're out there and you're struggling with same-sex attractions, homosexual behaviors, or anything that's related to that, there is forgiveness for you. Repent. Believe in Christ. Repent of your sins. Believe in Christ. So, that being said, it is important to know there's a, sorry, folks coming downstairs, they're trying to be quiet. Recording in the basement. It's important to know that in Christ there is freedom. Now, does that mean things will automatically poof right away? Not necessarily. God works in different ways sometimes. But you don't have to be trapped by your sin anymore. You don't. You no longer have to be ruled by it. And I'm preaching myself here. I'm not, homosexuality is not something I had, I had struggled with, but other things that I've dealt with and are dealing with in my own life. Trust in the Lord. Trust in His forgiveness. 
His grace. Repent and put your faith in Him. Now, con- now continuing, after pointing out all that, let's go over 1 Corinthians 11. So we're going to switch over here. Man, I just realized I just kept that up there the whole time, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together for not for the better, but for the worse. Again, he's talking to Corinthians again. For in this place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist, exist among you, and in part, I believe it, Paul says. For there must be also factions among you so that those who may be approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together in the same place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. For do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I receive from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, and that the Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he had broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, we talked about that a little bit already. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a man must test himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will direct when I come. And that's as Paul's way of saying, hey, we got more to talk about. Now, because after what I pointed out previously, I want to go over this passage. In this passage, Paul, because the Eucharist, now if this church centers their worship around the Eucharist, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's issues here at stake. So Paul, starting in verse 17, discusses that the Corinthians have divisions among them when they gather to partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, it sounds like probably like a small potluck-style uh, gathering that they're, that they're do- participating in. In verses 21 to 22, he chastises the Corinthians for indulging and looking down on those who don't have the same resources within the church. For example, I attend a small church, and we have a church-wide meals on a regular basis. Many times, some families are late or were not able to prep a meal, or a visitor who did not know ahead of time would be invited to partake. If at one of these meals, my family and one other family ate most of the food before the others arrived, and we just said, too bad, should have been here on time, we would be in sin on two counts, the first being gluttonous and the other having poorly towards, behaving poorly towards fellow believers or guests. In cases like this, God forbid it would occur, 
Paul reminds the Corinthians and us that we were famished, and we sh- if we were famished, we should have eaten and drank at home before coming to the gathering in order to ensure that there would be enough to go around. Paul continues on to describe the Lord's Supper and the purpose behind it. Most churches now do not think link the Eucharist with a large meal as a local body, but the principle remains the same. It still applies. In verse 27, Paul instructs the Corinthians that the body and the blood of the Lord, oops, that whoever eats of the bread, drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Paul's further instruction is for one to examine himself and then partake of the cup of the bread cup and bread. If one does not examine himself, repent of any persistent sin, etc., he drinks the cup unworthily and drinks judgment on himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. Now, before I continue, uh, when I say unrepentant sin, I'm not talking about now you had a flub up and accidentally cussed when you slammed your finger in the door or something like that. But I'm talking about Persistent, purposeful sin. That's what I'm referring to. Because even as believers, we're still sinners. That God has saved. And Christ has shed his blood for us. But we must remember that if there's a persistent, unrepentant, willful sin, that's an issue. And that's what I'm referring to here. Okay? Because there's a holiness in the celebration of the Lord's table. And those who do not recognize that treat the Lord himself with indifference. I'm going to say that again. There is a holiness in the celebration of the Lord's table. And those who do not recognize that treat the Lord himself with indifference. It is a most serious charge. As outlined in the website quote above, those in unrepentant sin are invited to drink judgment on themselves. And yes, I'm referring to homosexuality as sin. And worse than that, the rector of this particular church, that's what they called like their lead pastor, rector, of this particular church invites the entire parish to drink judgment upon themselves every time the Lord's table is practiced because this church stands in opposition to the scriptures, to God's word. Now, unfortunately... <laughs> There's a lot more going on going on at this church than what I listed above. They have a uh, quote for um, weddings and funerals saying, we perform marriages for all couples. Well, good. Regardless of sexual orientation or gender, gender identity. Okay. All standards are per premarital preparation, membership, etc. apply equally to every couple that gets married at All Saints. Okay, now, one, I, I support the idea of Encouraging church membership if you want said pastor to, to marry you. There is a proper view of spiritual authority happening there. Okay? But all couples, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. So what we talked about earlier. Men and women is what God designed to be married and have sexual union together. Same sex doesn't count, doesn't work. If you're going by a gender gender identity, you got a lot of other issues going on that need to be taken care of. Now, and then this next part. Um, 
the uh, rector, the lead pastor, the Reverend Dr. Catherine Carlson. That's her name. In fact, actually, let's see if this works. Yes, it does. It does. This is Dr. Reverend Catherine Carlson. She began her tenure in February 2007 there at there at that church. She comes to All Saints from the Church of the Ascension in Gaithersburg, Maryland, where she was associate rector and then interim rector. And then for those in Baptist world, or that's pastor, essentially. She served Ascension for more than six years, graduating from Virginia Theological Seminary in 2000. While at Ascension, she oversaw development of three additional worship services and renovated historic chapel, added a labyrinth and centering prayer ministry, and annual silent retreat. Those are interesting. A labyrinth, centering prayer. This is New Age false teaching is what this is. No, and... <laughs> So that's fun. But what we see, not only is the woman in uh, as a lead pastor in violation of what the scriptures teach, we see we see by her own bio alone she holds the uh, several heretical views. You know, and her, I was when I was poking around looking this up just. Again, trying to figure out why would you put God God loves everyone, no exceptions, on your sign, on your church sign. Now, the quote from her from the uh, the Episcopal Church of the Ascension, which is where she was at before she came out here to East Lansing. The following quote is from her church's website. Quote, the Episcopal Church of the Ascension is a progressive multicultural Christian community in metropolitan DC with a passion for service, diverse worship, and a lifelong spirit and lifelong spiritual formation. Now progressive. And you don't really have to guess what that means. It <laughs> continues on. It spells it right out. Multi multicultural Christian community. Okay. So that can happen in some pockets of where you live, particularly here in the United States. Okay, I'll give you that. But when she says progressive, her bio alone tells me, that, yeah, progressive. Progressive is not a good thing in this case. Because life... And I'm not going to get a very Marxist language here. Now, looking at the rest of All Saints' website, we find something else. There are two more women reverends on staff. So not only have Reverend Catherine there, Reverend Donna McNeil, and Reverend Krista Hewitt. Again, again, why would you put God is God loves everyone, no exceptions? 
know, for a church, this is suspect because in direct violation of the scriptures, First Timothy 2, for example, let me read it. That's not the button I wanted. Nope, that's the button I want. There we go. Now, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, with modesty and self-restraint, not with braided hair or gold, pearls, or costly clothing, rather by means of good works, as is proper for women professing godliness. A woman must learn in, all, in quietness and all submission. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was formed first, and, th and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into trespass. That she would be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with self-restraint. Now, real quick, when it, saved through the bearing of children, that's not saved as in God saved me from my sins. This is in refer reference back uh, to the... Um, to, to the curse that God put out in Genesis 3. But par the parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 14. What is the outcome then, brothers? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, has a tongue, has a translation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or, two or at most three, and in each in turn. And one must translate. But if there's no translator, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first must, one must keep silent. You, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and may be exhorted, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject themselves, just as the law also says. But if they do des desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is a disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word, was God, word of God first went forth, or has arrived to you only? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone remains ignorant about this, he is ignored by God. Okay, so we see what the Lord re uh, expects regarding order in his church and worship and what that means. Okay, and in, in the passage in 1 Timothy, Paul sets that in the Creation order. Man was created first, then woman. And it says the woman was deceived and, and, tra and trespassed. But remember, it was Adam that was credited as sin, sinning. The responsibility went to him. Why? Because he was responsible for her. To take care of her, to protect her. That's okay. But anyway, the scriptures teach that women should be, remain silent in the churches. Now, does this mean they walk, they can't say words since they step in the walls of the church? No, that's not what that means. Paul isn't talking in the aspect of regarding worship. 
know, during a liturgy or what have you. Or even if you have a uh, woman musician, that's fine. Sometimes they can sing a song or two, but they should not be teaching or preaching in the church to, to mixed audiences. Because God, God's order, God's order is hierarchical. For Adam was created first, and then Eve. Now, and I just want to say, this is evidence to show that they are already willing to violate the scriptures here in this very, very simple truth. So it makes absolute sense that they will violate the scriptures elsewhere. And looking back at their what their sign said, God loves everyone, no exceptions. Exclamation mark. This is not a reminder of God's love and grace, but as an excuse to continue and encourage people in persistent sinful lifestyles and choices. This is evident based on what I have discussed the last several minutes. Now, <laughs> may God bring repentance to this body and reformation. He's announcing needs a church that will preach the gospel and teach the scriptures unapologetically. I mean, like I said, without apology, without saying, I'm sorry, but the word of God says, no. This, this is hard, because like, when, when I've driven Uber in the past, no, I'm not going to share any details of any of my customers. So if you're like, hey, I recognize that guy, I'm not sharing any specific parts of any conversation that you and I may have had. But I've heard a lot of things. Driving Uber in East Lansing. And some of them are fun. Some of them are just whatever. But a lot of them are not good. Hateful. Sinful. And so on. So... A lot, a lot of these people, students, these people that attend uh, at MSU, they don't need the message, God loves you and have a wonderful plan for your life. They, they need to hear the message, God loves you. Repent of your sins. Put your faith and trust in him and in him alone. That's what these kids need. That's what they need. They don't need this mess. They don't need a woman pastor. They need a man of God willing to stand and teach what the scriptures teach. Now, that's what I'm attempting to do with this show. <sighs> so, well, that's it for this this episode. If you liked what you hear, well, I'm glad you liked what you hear. <laughs> that's not cheap. So, if any of you listen, if you have any questions, look up Bleeding Theologist on iTunes, Anchor, FM, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, or Google Play, and at Bleeding Theolo on Twitter. That's Bleeding Theolo on Twitter. And I'm also on Gab, not on there very often, but you can come check me out there. I look forward to hearing from you. Oh, I got one more thing. I almost forgot. I'll have an email address now, believingtheologist at gmail.com. That's believingtheologist 
at gmail.com. Feel free to shoot me a message. Or if you want to, or if you like like what you hear, you can head over to Patreon. Uh, throw some money in the hat. That's uh, patreon.com. Look up Believing Theologist. Now I look forward to hearing from you and hope you stick around for a few episodes more. So until next time, proclaiming the gospel and sound doctrine to the furthest reaches of the great state of Michigan. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.